0: Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Hey, I want to bring a message to you all this morning uh, titled A Holy Moment. Turn to your neighbor and say A Holy Moment. Turn to the person on your other side and say a holy moment. I must be missing something because you're all laughing. That's good. Fantastic. A holy moment. You know, I believe with all my heart and over the last few weeks, months, you know, for all of time, truth be told, but I believe with all my heart that God is continuing uh, to globally reawaken his church. And I think there's a there's there's a real stirring in each of our hearts here. To be honest, where we're aware that God is moving, God is doing some things. He is reawakening His church, His people, you and I. You know, I think God's opening up our eyes to understand afresh that now's not a moment in time to sit silent or quietly just to sit back and watch what's going on around the place. It's not a moment to be stationary. You know, God's on the move. Amen? Amen. God is on the move. His kingdom is advancing. The church of God is growing. Can I hear a hearty amen this morning? You know, the greatest rescue mission on the face of the earth is well underway right now. God himself is doing an incredible work on the face of the planet. And I love this, that God himself is inviting you and he's inviting me to be a part of exactly what he's up to. He's inviting each and every single one of us here today to put our hands to the plow, if you will, get our hands dirty and engage in the mission of God. You know that um, speaking about the faith journey, So many of us are on that faith journey. But do you know the faith journey is not a passive spectator sport? None of us were called to sit on the couch and be couch experts or just sit back and watch the way the faith journey plays out and give a running commentary but never engage. That was never God's intention for us as his children. We're not called to live a passive spectator sport faith journey. You know true faith is not really a passive lifestyle but it's actually an active walk of obedience to our father in heaven. I like to simple simplify my faith a little bit and I like to make it as simple as this. Whatever God's saying, I have really two options: to walk in obedience or to walk in disobedience to what he is saying and what he's speaking into my life. And true faith is not passive, it's active. It's a walk of obedience. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. speaking about faith, he said these words, Faith is taking the first step even when you can't see the whole staircase. They're great words. Faith is taking the first step even when you can't see the whole staircase. You know, every step in the faith journey is an active, intentional movement in the process of walking and moving forward in a relationship with God isn't it you know it said it's a little cheesy but it said faith is like a muscle you either choose to use it or you choose to lose it you choose to draw closer to God or you choose to step away from God you know speaking of walking the journey of faithfulness in Genesis chapter 17 verse 1 we read these words Speaking of Abram, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, now there's a life well lived. 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and he said these words, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. You know, the Hebrew word uh, for God Almighty is that word El Shaddai. Turn to your neighbor and say, El Shaddai. You've all just spoken Hebrew this morning. Congratulations. El Shaddai, which quite simply means this, the God who is more than enough. God Almighty, El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. You see, no matter what you're going through right now, no matter the challenges you face, God Almighty, El Shaddai, is the God of more than enough, more than you even need. You know it means that he is, that he is powerful, that he has the power to complete his promises. Scripture is full of some beautiful promises from God. Everything God does, the very nature of who he is is more than enough. It's surplus. it's super abundant. He's overflowing. He's good measured. Everything about him is good. You know, God is more than enough. He's more than enough for me. He's more than enough for you. And he's more than enough for every person on the face of the planet. And let me remind us this morning, church, whilst ever there is one person on this planet who is faced with an eternity separated from God, this church, the church, the kingdom of God is not yet big enough. Can I hear an amen? Such is the heart of God that none shall perish. God has a big heart. He's a big God. And because of this, we as a local church must be absolutely passionate about rebuilding. Rebuilding lives, rebuilding families, rebuilding towns, rebuilding our cities, our state, our nation. All for the glory of God. All for the advancement of his kingdom. You know, when it comes to understanding what it is uh, to, to rebuild and the process of rebuilding and taking a holy moment, there's a book in the Bible called Nehemiah, The Story of Nehemiah, which I believe is a great place to start when it comes to understanding what it is to rebuild. And as we look at Nehemiah, we begin to see some great biblical truths on how to go about rebuilding. The kingdom of God. Let me give you a little backstory. We're going to look at a few verses in Nehemiah today, but a little backstory about the book Uh, for those that may not be familiar with it. The events of Nehemiah take place. Beginning around 445 BC, before Christ, and uh, this is about the time frame uh, when it takes place 140 years earlier, uh, 586 BC, Jerusalem, the holy city had been attacked by the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar. The Babylonians went in and they set fire to every important building and, and, and remnant, if you like, in the city. They set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all, all the houses in Jerusalem. They went crazy. They did a number on the place. Every important building in the area was burned to the ground. The place was simply a mess. It was in a state of complete ruin. At best, in our terms, we'd probably call it only just a fixer-upper. The place was absolutely a mess. And then arriving onto the scene, we read in the book of Nehemiah, is Nehemiah himself the cupbearer to the king. And he arrives on the scene in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. And I want to take a look at these first few verses together this morning. It reads this, Nehemiah chapter 1, come with me, verse 1, it's on the screen. The words of Nehemiah, son of Nehemiah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Verse 3, they said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, And its gates have been burned with fire. You know, interesting to note as we read this text that there are some similarities in this text to the position that we find ourselves in time today. You know, here in this text we have this picture and this description of the state of the Jewish nation only just prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of this sounds familiar because we, like Nehemiah, live in a broken world. We live in a world that is actually nothing like that which God intended it to be. Now, don't get me wrong. There is much beauty in the world. There there is so much to enjoy in the world we live in, yet it is still nothing like that which God intended it to be. We live in a world of brokenness. So many people find themselves lonely and isolated. So many people find themselves in a state of godlessness. It's a broken, broken world. And I want you to notice something this morning. Nehemiah wasn't paralyzed by all that that he was faced with. Rather, he was compelled to do something. He was compelled to take the first step, even though he couldn't see the whole staircase. He was compelled to take action. And I believe these are actions that if each of us would apply to our own life, we would begin to see incredible things happen. I believe these are actions that are biblical, timeless truths. Let me give three to you today. Number one is this, Nehemiah prayed. There's some revelation for you. Nehemiah prayed. Number two, Nehemiah took ownership. And number three, Nehemiah had what I would like to call a holy moment. Nehemiah prayed, he took ownership, and he had a holy moment. Let me speak into that first point just for a moment. Nehemiah's initial action was to get on his knees And to pray. You know, I wonder what our first response would have been in that same situation. Faced with brokenness, faced with a landscape that was nothing like what God had intended it to be. I wonder what our first response would have been. Well, we find what Nehemiah's was in verse 4. Chapter 1, verse 4, it says, When I heard these things, Nehemiah's words, I sat down and wept, and for some days I mourned, and I fasted, and I prayed before the God of heaven. I wonder, when was the last time that you or I sat down and just wept? over the state of mankind, our community, our nation. I wonder wonder when the last time was that perhaps we fasted and prayed. I wonder when we gave something up that was meaningful to us and said, I'm going to replace this and make it a time and space of leaning into God. That's what fasting is. Pressing into God. I wonder when we last did that. You see, such was Nehemiah's burden for God's people. He wasn't content with turning his head and just getting on with his own personal pathway of success. He didn't just look at the problem and go, yeah, that's, that's an issue, but I, I didn't cause it and I, I've got to keep my focus on all that I'm doing over here. It's not what Nehemiah did you see, Nehemiah carried a burden, a burden that burnt so deep within him that sitting silent and stationary was simply not a response that reflected the God that he served. You know, Nehemiah's response, his response to prayer, it's a response that reflects the greatness of, of the God that he served. A response of prayer and fasting. You know, that is a faith response. That is a response of God right now. I don't know how this works out. And I know in my own doing and with all my own strength, I really can't make a difference. But I trust in the truth and the knowledge that I know I can't, but I know the one who can. And Nehemiah begins to fall to his knees And he begins to pray from that position of faith. I can't, but you can. So Nehemiah begins to tap into the one who can. You know, a quick side note this morning. Have you ever noticed that the enemy loves to whisper little thoughts into our minds and into our ears? I don't think this is unique to me or to any single one of us. But the more you talk to people of faith and begin to talk about prayer, the more you realize that every, you know, most of us often feel inadequate in our prayer life. And we say things like this Well, I don't pray out loud because my prayers aren't as long and as godly as that person over there. And I don't pray out loud because. I struggle to remember the New Testament, let alone all the Old Testament, like that person over there. So I don't pray too much because my prayers just aren't good enough. I'd like to suggest to you today the reason the enemy does that is because he knows the power and the authority of the God to whom we pray. You want to make some... Some uh, enemies, the devil, a little bit nervous. Just fall to your knees and start praying. Because he knows what it is when God of heaven unleashes his absolute best. And he gets scared and he doesn't like it. And that's why he wants to whisper into our ear, don't waste your time praying. You're not good enough. Because he knows the power and the authority of a person who prays. You know, here's a great reminder this morning that when we pray, all of heaven is on our side. As we begin to pray, the angels rejoice. You know, I love these words from the psalmist. In Psalm 116, verse 1 to 2, it says, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Verse 2, because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. What a great position. I will call on God for as long as I live. You know, friends, this morning, let's be like Nehemiah. Let's be a people who make prayer our first response, our first action, and not our last resort. Are you with me this morning? Secondly, this morning. Nehemiah took ownership of the situation. You know, there are times when God is looking for someone to stand in the gap. Someone who will say, I didn't cause it, I didn't do it, but I'm willing to stand in the gap and make a difference. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 5 to 6, let me read it. It says this, Then I said, Nehemiah's response Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. You see, Nehemiah was not content with just playing games in the kingdom of God, he wasn't content with just turning up and ticking boxes. He wasn't content with just playing the blame game and saying, well, that's someone else's issue. That's someone else's fault. It's not my problem. I didn't do it. Someone else can fix it. In fact, nobody got time for that over there anyway. And Nehemiah didn't think like that. Let me speak a word in season to us here today that speaks directly into our westernized culture. I believe with all my heart, and I'm speaking this into my life as much as I am yours today, I believe with all my heart that we need to be incredibly, incredibly guarded against becoming so comfortable with our own bubble of blessing that we fail to see and further fail to respond to another person's mess, brokenness or need we need to be so careful where we live because we are so ridiculously blessed that we don't fall into a trap of going well it's all good over here we're doing okay that's why I love the heart of our church and things you know uh, like the food basket project opportunities for us to engage and go, well, my, my life might be okay. Maybe it's not, but most of us know what it is to live a blessed life. We've got to be so careful that we don't just live in that bubble that we fail to see and recognize and move and take action towards someone else's brokenness and need. Let me say this this morning, church, with absolute love and grace. It's a tough truth that I want to share with you. It's simply this, that Nehemiah wasn't too busy building his own kingdom, that he had no time for God's kingdom. That one lands pretty heavy because we do busyness pretty well. And we can justify busyness and we can wear busyness like a badge of honor. But Nehemiah wasn't too busy building his own kingdom, doing his own thing, that he had no time for God's kingdom. In fact, the truth is this. He made God's kingdom, God's people, God's work, his priority and everything else in his life came secondary to that. Nehemiah was on mission. He knew what it was to be on mission for God. He owned that. He made it his own responsibility to commit to that mission. He took personal the call of God. Let me remind you this morning that each and every one of us who called Jesus their Lord and Saviour have been called to go and rebuild and it's, that call is on every single one of us as believers of Christ. I want to read it to you. You know these verses. You probably easily glaze over, in fact. But Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, let me read it from the message rendering. It says this, Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. He said these words, God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by the baptism uh, in the threefold name, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. Did you hear that this morning? Jesus Charged by God, commanded by God, has commanded each of us, has commanded me, has commanded you, every single person who has accepted Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, sorry, but you can't back out of this one. You don't get to have salvation and not be part of the mission. If you've said yes to Jesus, praise God for salvation, but welcome to the mission. God has called us all to be on mission. I love those words, God authorised and commanded me to commission you. Then he goes on to say, I'll be with you as you do this. We're never alone. He hasn't left us stranded. He hasn't said, there's the work, good luck, catch you later, I'll be back in a few thousand years. But he says, I'll be with you as you do this. Day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. You know, Nehemiah took ownership of the kingdom task at hand. And friends, so ought we. Because really, truly, honestly, that's what it is to live by faith. You know, that's the, that's the reality of it. That's the rubber hitting the road. That's walking the talk. That's doing the things that we know we ought to be doing. That's placing your trust and your hope and your faith in Jesus. And let me remind you today as believers that's the place where we find fulfillment as children of God. That's where we find that place of fulfillment truly serving and chasing after the heart of God, being on mission with God. Again, we weren't called to be couch experts who just sit back. And I'm not beating you up today, but we weren't called just to sit back and look on and go, well, that's for the paid minister and that's for that person because they have this gifting and that person over there, they have great gifting. So they're called to mission as well. No, no, no. Every believer has been called to the mission of God. You know, we're called to be frontline warriors We're called to be in the army. We're called to be active in the greatest rescue mission the earth will ever see. You know, God is chasing wholeheartedly after all of his children. Some of us are in this room. In fact, all of us in this room are his children. But this is not the end game right here. God's looking for every heart, every life, that none should perish. He's chasing after every person, your unsaved family, your unsaved friends, your work colleagues. God is chasing after mankind. And he's chasing after them with the goodness of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, God wants you and I to be part of that. I don't know about you, but I get a little bit bored when life gets routine. I want to be part of something that's exciting and, you know, that's going places, that's doing things, that is seeing some results. I want to be part of what God is doing. I want to be on the front line. I don't want to be sitting on the couch just watching on. I want to be on the front fighting. I want to be engaged in that mission. And I'm sure many of you do also. You know, let's be people who, like Nehemiah, take ownership of the mission of God in our generation. You know, I often wonder, this, wonder these thoughts, and I wonder uh, if there was to be a Bible 2.0. Just work with me for a moment, but if there was to be a Bible 2.0 and the book of Nehemiah was replaced with, insert your name, the book of Dan Upton or the book of your name. I wonder what it would read. I wonder if it would read on, the August, on August the 14th, 2022. That Dan Upton had a moment with God and said, you know what, what I see is not okay. The state of the nation, our town, our cities, it's not okay. And he fell to his knees and he began to pray. And he took ownership of the situation and said, God, I can't. I can't do this. But I remember the promises that you have spoken. And I know that you're able. And I'm going to take my hands and put them to the plow. I'm going to get on mission. And I'm going to allow you to use my life, take my life and use it for the betterment, for the building of the kingdom of God. Can I hear an amen to that this morning? Thirdly this morning, I want to have a look at this point where Nehemiah had what I'd like to call a holy moment. A holy moment. We find it in Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. It reads this, it says... I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my my father's family. Including myself and my father's family have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses wow what a roar what a humble and what an honest prayer of repentance you know I want to remind each of us here today that that word repentance, it's not a dirty, scary word. It's not a word that we should run away from. Rather, it's something we should run toward too. Repentance is not something to be scared of. You know, repentance really is something that's freeing, that's a liberating process in our life. It's a process of both returning and also renewing. You know, speaking on repentance, William Barclay, who was a Church of Scotland minister in the early to mid-1900s, had these powerful words to say about repentance. He says, to repent means to realise that the kind of life we are living is wrong and that we must adopt a completely new set of values. To that end, it involves two things. It involves sorrow for what we have been and it involves the resolve that by the grace of God, we will be changed. You know, the truth is this this morning. Repentance is not a one-off occasion. Repentance is not to be a one-off occasion in our life where we come to Jesus and say, Yes, Jesus, I need you. I've got it wrong. Yes, that is a magnificent moment of repentance. But can I tell you this morning, it doesn't actually stop there. Repentance is something we should be committed to for all of our days as followers of Jesus Christ. Reality is, when we make repentance a one-off, it's us who misses out. And we miss out big time. You know, perhaps we're too scared sometimes. Too worried about what God might think. News flash like he doesn't already know what's going on anyway. We get worried like, what will he think? What's he going to say? What's He? And maybe we get scared. Maybe we're too proud. There's a tough one. Maybe we're too proud. Maybe we struggle too much with coming before God and admitting that I can't do this. I got it wrong. Maybe we're too proud to have a holy moment. You know, to have a holy moment to repent is a great opportunity for us to confess not only our sins, not only my sins, but like Nehemiah, the sins of those that have gone before us. To say, God, I'm sorry for when I get it wrong. But not only is it a moment to repent, to confess our sins, but it's also a moment to confess our struggles. Hey God, I'm just struggling with some things right now. I haven't given up on you. In fact, my love burns deeper than perhaps it has in a long time. But right now I'm really, really, really struggling. When the rubber hits the road, I'm struggling to hold on to you. I'm struggling to lean into you. Hey, God, thank you so much for my family. But Auntie Dorothy, man, you're testing my love. Sorry if your name's Dorothy this morning. But it's a moment to not only confess our sin, but also confess our struggles. You know, in the Old Testament, two Hebrew words help us understand repentance. The first one is a word that's pronounced nakem. Nakem, which means to turn around and to change your mind. to Do a 180 and go the other direction. The second is the word sub, S-U-B, sub, which simply, uh, actually it's used over 600 times in the Old Testament, but it simply means to turn. It's replaced with uh, words like to turn, to return, to seek, and to restore. And when it comes to the New Testament, there is one word that's good for us to know, and it's the Greek word metanoia. Everybody say metanoia. Turn to the person on your left and say metanoia. On your right. Well done. Now you're speaking Greek and Hebrew. Congratulations. That word simply means to change the mind. To change the mind. You know, repentance fundamentally means to change your mind about something. To change the way you think about some things. To turn in the opposite direction. To do a 180. That's repentance, the changing of the mind. Subsequently, when our mind changes, our actions must change. You see, we can't possibly step into all that God has for us, all that he desires for us, a selfless life. God has called each of us to live a selfless life. We can't do that if our heart is full of selfish, godless ambition. You know, I said before, I'll say it again, God is, I believe, continuing to reawaken His church, His people, you... And I, opening up our eyes to the the, the fact that now is not a time to sit silent still and stationary in the kingdom of God because God is on the move. I feel like preaching a little bit, but God's kingdom is growing. God is doing an incredible work on the face of the planet and God is calling you and he's calling me to be a part of the greatest mission on the face of the earth. Man alive, that should excite us. That should make something within us go, I want to be part of that. I don't want to miss out on this. I don't want to be found sleeping on the couch. I don't want to be found caught up in my own pursuits. I want to be a part of what God's doing. You know, and like Nehemiah, this whole journey starts from a posture of prayer, ownership, and repentance. I'd encourage you, church, today, go home, find some time, read the rest of chapter one, two, three, four, what the heck, read the whole book. It's an incredible story of God using a person who will just pray, take ownership, repent, and get to work. God does incredible things through Nehemiah. You know, let me be real this morning. I've had this word sitting in my heart for the week and I've got to be honest, I tried to avoid it. Because who wants to preach on repentance? Not super popular. I'm well aware aware that preaching on repentance isn't the warm big hug from heaven that we often You know, like to have, or the tickle of the ears that we like to feel. I also appreciate that repentance may never have been viewed in your life as a holy moment. However, I can't escape the fact that repentance is the message of Christ, it's the message of salvation. And truth be told, it's the posture of any faithful servant of God. I want to wrap this up this morning. And I don't know where this ends today. But I want to invite every person in this room today to take a moment. To take a holy moment before God, to stop, to sit before our Father in heaven. And maybe for the first time in a good while, maybe you're really good at this. God bless you if you are. But to take a moment to begin to say sorry to God to repent to say I'm sorry for the things that we've done the sins that we've committed for my sins but also for the sins of the people that have gone before us to take ownership and say God I'm sorry I'm sorry for the sin but I'm not just leaving it there. I'm sorry for the things that I struggle with. I'm sorry that I get frustrated. I'm sorry that I get angry. I'm sorry that I ignore you when you speak. I'm sorry for my struggles, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly. Sorry for the things that I allow to creep into my life, the things that separate me. From you. I'm sorry. Church, I want us to be real this morning. To be real before God. Not to play games of beautiful service, let's go home, roast lunch, roast preacher, we'll have the lot. But be real before God. To take a moment, a holy moment where we do a 180-degree flip and go, God, I'm sorry, I'm turning back to you. You know, I'm absolutely adamant. I, for one, and I know many of you are in the same boat, I want to be a part of what God is doing. I want to be a part of all that God has for each of us. But reality is, friends, this morning, it starts here. It starts here. Like Nehemiah, from a position of prayer, of ownership and repentance. As we close today, I do want to share with you a beautiful, beautiful song. It's a beautiful video clip from a guy by the name of Cody Cairns. It's a great song called Nothing Else. It's a beautiful song that is written out of a heart of repentance to God. My hope and prayer this morning is this, that for every single person in this room, it would be a holy moment. A moment where we just stop, close our eyes, listen to the words and just begin to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for when I messed it up. I'm sorry for when I got it wrong. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my struggles. To have a holy moment, a moment of repentance. You know, friends, brothers, sisters, children of God, repentance truly is a holy holy moment and maybe we never ever come closer to God than when we do when we take a holy moment and repent